Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Front Row. Tom Block with you. Keith and I have once again, once again gone long distance on our relationship. He, of course, is with the basketball Seminoles, which means he's in our nation's capital right now. But he was kind enough, as he should be, to carve out some time to uh, join us here on The Front Row. KJ, how's it going? It's going well, Tom. You, you would not believe the weather in Washington, D.C. High today of 80. Supposed to hit 81 tomorrow. Uh, I feel like I'm in Florida. You want to just rub that in a little more? or I mean, I was hoping you'd say blizzard and 42, but well, I guess no, it wouldn't be a blizzard no, we'll and 42. Just leave it at that and, and, and you and the listeners can uh, just close your eyes and dream. Does the does your hotel room overlook you know the White House, or are you overlooking a dumpster in the back of the hotel? No, I'm actually overlooking a, a neat little church. And uh, for the first time in a long time, you know how when uh, you and I are traveling, when you check in, we'll say, you know, I'll be happy to take that little uh, junior suite or president's uh, suite if that will help you. And uh, guess what? It worked this time. I got a little junior suite. How about that? How about that? Well, hopefully Kathy's not listening, so she's not upset about that. But uh, congratulations to you. That's enough about your uh, your digs for the next couple of days. And hopefully it, it is the next couple of days. I mean, FSU uh, took care of business yesterday, Keith. We would have been uh, highly disappointed, Seminole Nation, had they not defeated B.C., but I thought they looked pretty good. I mean, uh, B.C. had the lead for, what, the first 10, 12 minutes of the game, and Florida State pulled away by halftime and then ran them out of the gym as the game wore on. One of the things that was interesting that came out of the ball game was some of the comments the kids made after the fact, which I found encouraging, uh, the common theme being that they came with a lot of energy, but they, they weren't real focused on the defensive end of the court. And at about the five-minute mark, six-minute mark into the first period during one of their huddles, uh, kind of amongst themselves, they reminded each other of the need to ramp it up on the defensive end and and did a remarkable job. They ended up out-rebounding D.C. by four, uh, forced them into 16 turnovers, which they turned into 20 points, and uh, were credited with 10 steals was Florida State. So uh, I think this kids are continuing to understand and it's being reinforced that defense is what leads to good offense and and in this case a 22-point victory. Well defense is what abandoned them during some of their tough times this year including the last six minutes in Blacksburg when they basically lost a game that they had an eight-point lead at the half uh, you know against the Hokies and you can pick any number of games as we've talked about over the course of the year but the reality is if they're nine and nine going into this tournament instead of eight and ten then a win tonight, you know, might be enough to punch that NCAA ticket. But because they were eight and ten going into the tournament, they probably need tonight and tomorrow night before even getting into the conversation. Uh, I guess I'll ask you to react to that, and then we can talk more about the Hokies. Well, two parts. Number one, the mere fact that they're continuing to talk about the defense and relate that back to that last uh, four or five or six minutes uh, in Blacksburg. Uh, it makes me very optimistic that uh, when they tip in another couple of three hours uh, that they'll be able to get the job done. This is a game that Florida State against Virginia Tech that Florida State should be able to win. And and the bracket sets up nice, Tommy, and I think you're exactly right. I think Florida State's got to win three games. I think they've got to win tonight. Uh, they've got Miami tomorrow, which is a team that they can beat. And if this Florida State squad ends up playing on Friday in the semis, uh, I like their chances as it relates to how the committee would view their body of work and whether they would get invited to the tournament. Well, in that scenario, let's play the dream scenario for a little bit, that they make it to the semis and and lose in the semis. You would have, uh, discounting that loss, your last five games, though, you'd have wins over Notre Dame, Syracuse, Miami and Virginia Tech, all of whom I'm I'm going to presume are tournament teams. I know Syracuse, we don't know that for sure, but uh, so you could make a strong case that you played your best basketball at the end and had some significant wins, and I think that would be what you'd have to hang your hat on. It wouldn't guarantee it because if to me, if you make it to the semis, you're going to be playing a really good team, and you'll be playing for the fourth consecutive day, and there's a real danger of getting drilled eighty to fifty four in that scenario. 
The opposite no question. The, no fl- question. The, the flip side would be that you don't even feel your legs anymore because you're riding such an emotional high that somehow you hang in that game. Well, but, but the likelihood where, is bet is more with the first. Here's here's where being youthful uh, is good because young kids tend to be ignorant and ignore that kind of stuff. You know, it's the older guys that wake up and say, "Wait a minute, we're playing our fourth game in four days." And, and the staff did a real good job at least last night controlling those minutes uh the most minutes played by any Florida state player was 28 and that was by beasley uh and everybody else was 26 and below so there was an opportunity to maybe rest a little bit and maybe just maybe that'll help if you're fortunate enough to be playing on uh, on thursday and friday yeah and uh, again folks that was the dream scenario i'm a big believer in the it's it's boring it's coach's cliche of the one game at a time but it does us no good to talk about friday and thursday if they don't win tonight so let's let's bring it back in there what went wrong against virginia tech in the second half and how do they make sure that they do enough to get the win tonight what went wrong is they lost focus uh they they completely abandoned their defensive game plan and they just let virginia tech rain on them i mean you you've got two kids and seth allen and justin bibbs that you know combined shoot uh, well over 30 percent from three land they got well over 123s between them Uh, you just can't Abandon what you what you did for for you know thirty thirty five minutes to get you there. That's going to be the primary focus. Everything tonight against this Tech uh, team, Tommy, has got to be about defense. The offense will come. I mean, geez, they scored what eighty eight points last night, forty nine in the second half. They can score, particularly if they create some turnovers. Tonight's got to be about playing lockdown defense and not leaving people open beyond the perimeter, and then continue to dominate the paint like they did. Uh, and if you if you play defense, you can beat Virginia Tech. Your offense will come automatically. Although I heard Virginia Tech's coach yesterday during the BCFSU broadcast say that that FSU was better than Virginia Tech at all five positions on the court. Did you they hear that? Be. You you probably didn't hear that remark since you were doing a radio broadcast. But he did make that remark. Uh, they should be. I mean, do you, do you you've seen Virginia Tech? You think they are better one through five? Is Virginia Tech better than Florida State one through five? No, I, I don't believe that at all. I mis, I misunderstood. I think Virginia, with the exception of the center position, I think Florida State is better than Virginia Tech one through four. Yeah, well, and he was just making the comment that FSU basically that that uh, I'm asking you to react something that you couldn't hear because you were doing the broadcast. That uh, it was interesting, you know, it was sort of coach speak for buttering the other team up. They're better across the board than we are. You know, they should beat us. They're better at every position. Uh, if you actually take it one, you know, one versus one, two versus two, I get what you're saying. That said, I'm looking at the box score from the uh, the Virginia Tech Florida State game the first time around, and uh, you know FSU shot 44 percent, but the Hokies shot 53 percent. And what what I see in this really is that uh, Devin Booker was one for seven in Blacksburg and 0 for four on threes. Now he had a very nice game yesterday. He had a great game yesterday. In fact, his line score for those that didn't look at it just to toot his horn a little bit: 15 points, five rebounds, four assists, no turnovers, two steals. And three, minutes of action. and three fouls on one possession, which is hard to do, but he did that yesterday. Exactly. Three fouls. We counted, I think it was within 41 seconds. <laughs> well, fortunately, that didn't come back to Burnham because that was his only three. But, Correct. Uh, you know, the other one who didn't play well in Blacksburg is Beasley, and it was sort of in that stretch where Beasley looked like his legs had left him. I, I commented between the Notre Dame game and the Syracuse game when FSU had a week off, I looked at the stats, and Beasley was three for his previous 20 on three-pointers, uh, with the fifth game being the, the Notre Dame game. Then against Syracuse, he comes out a week off, and he goes three for five on threes and looks kind of like he got the life back in his legs. Uh, I know we're talking about a situation where you're playing every day now, but do you think that week off really did sort of charge his battery? I, I, I don't know that it was so much even physical, Tommy. I think the week off mentally. See, what happens with these young kids, and you know this, most of our listeners do as well, they're used to playing 22, 24, 26 games in high school. Well, when you play 22, 24 games in college, you still have five or six games left. And that, that's when both Beasley and Bacon hit the wall. And I believe, personally, it's more mental than physical uh, because they're still so young. And I think that week off allowing him to decompress, he being Malik, to decompress and just have three or four practices without the, the pressure of a game I think mentally there was a reprieve in there that helped both he and Beasley, and, and that's why they're performing much better now 
Uh, a lot of times with these young kids, it, it may not be easy to understand, but it's a lot more mental than it is physical, this grind that is college basketball. So let's talk about strategic advantage a little bit, which does go to Virginia Tech because they didn't play yesterday. So they got to spend uh, you know, the last few days breaking down BC and FSU tape. And I know Florida State did an advanced scout on Virginia Tech, but more than that, the Hokies held their team practice yesterday after the FSU-BC game was finished. So they got to devote their entire practice to Florida State. Uh, just walk me through how FSU handled that. Uh, because you don't have a lot of time to implement game plan for your next opponent when you're, you know, in a winner go home tournament situation, play every day. Well, the, the good news is you played Virginia Tech not that long ago, so uh, re-remembering the game plan uh, should be a little easier as opposed to, you know, somebody you played in December. Number two, uh, at least at this point, I don't think the one game difference is a big thing physically. I think the physical part starts coming into play tomorrow. I don't think Virginia has a Virginia Tech has that decided advantage from a fatigue standpoint. I think certainly Miami will uh, if Florida State's victorious over Virginia Tech tonight. But but more and more more pardon me, Tom. More and more, I'm beginning to think that with this team, it's all about mental focus on the defensive end. And candidly, it doesn't matter who they're playing. Now it'll get real important if they get you know North Carolina or Virginia later down down the road, but. On these, these games where you match up okay, it's all about mental focus and playing defensive basketball and letting the offense come to you. I mean, Florida State, as I mentioned earlier, had 20 points off of turnovers. Uh, that'll win a lot of ball games for you if you create the turnovers and then you convert them. Uh, so I, I, I still, I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm still very optimistic that this squad's got a lot left in them and we'll see continuance of that uh, here in a little bit all right kj hang out in that uh, luxurious suite overlooking our nation's capital for the sake of our listeners and i'll bring you back for our second segment i do need to point out that uh, as always a portion of the front row is uh, brought your way by madison social trivia nights on tuesday if you're a disney geek next week is disney trivia night by the way uh and and as they always do they've got another promotion because it's another week so here's the latest one when spring starts so does the official brunch season Join Madison Social any or every weekend between March 19th and May 15th and purchase 16 mimosas. You'll receive a social brunch or baseball shirt and a pint glass. And lest you try to, to purchase all 16 in one sitting, they won't let you. There is a limit of four mimosas per trip, which was my first thought when I, when I read that. Okay, that said, thanks to Madison Social. We'll come back and uh, talk more with Keith Jones from uh, Washington, D.C. in the ACC tournament right after this on the front row. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row, our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefelt will join us uh, next segment. Uh, we're going to expand the conversation with Tim and discuss ACC tournament locale. As you know, it's in Washington, D.C. this year. It's going to New York for the next couple of years. When Florida State won it, it was in Atlanta. It's been in Tampa before. But historically, the ACC has been pretty fond of keeping it in that Greensboro Coliseum and uh, in Charlotte, certainly within the uh, the Carolina State border. So I'll have that conversation with Tim. But uh, as Keith Jones uh, says hello once again from D.C., KJ, you mentioned that uh, – you're drinking the Florida State Kool-Aid right now. You're not drinking too much of it, are you? I mean, you're keeping no, things no, in no. check. No, no, no. I'm not. Uh, I'm not falling down. Uh, I just think, based on the way these kids have played over the last three ball games, maybe just maybe they're starting to get it. And as they continue on that focus, then I, I think they've got some opportunities ahead of them. Uh, and I think things lay out well that they can take advantage of those opportunities. How was the uh, atmosphere? Uh, yesterday at uh, the Verizon Center? It was okay. Uh, there were 7,000, 7, I think, in the building. Uh, it seats, it's listed capacity, I think, is 24,000. Uh, obviously, it's the Tuesday with the two, you know, the, the proverbial play-in games, although they're not referred to that. Uh, my partner, Gene Dackerhoff, got us in trouble because uh, he referred to them as Terrible Tuesday, and 
couple of the ACC folks came up and said, look, let's, that's not the way we want to categorize that. Let's don't do that anymore. They said, okay, sorry, our bad. Uh, but it, it was okay. Uh, did, did, he re- the, did he refer to it that way on the air or just in conversation? Just in conversation. Okay, I just thank just you for clarifying. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Thank, thank you for allowing me to clarify. Um, <laughs> but uh, as always, uh, you know, the Golden Girls were a huge hit. Seminole Sound was, was wonderful. And uh, there was a, there was enough Florida State faithful in there to make themselves known. So it was it was not a terrible quote unquote atmosphere. Foreshadowing for our listeners, we're going to discuss the Seminole Sound and Golden Girls a little bit later on in the program. Hint, hint. Okay, let's let's expand behind beyond basketball real quick, Keith. Uh, I'll go back to basketball with Tim in our next segment, as I mentioned. Uh, football talk because we can always talk college football in this town and following Florida State. So, first of all, as it relates to the college football playoffs, they made some tweaks. Now, they did not make major adjustments, but for a body that's been pretty rigid and firm in what they want to do with these college football playoffs, it made a little bit of news when they announced that the games were going to, the playoff games would kick off earlier this year than last on New Year's Eve, moving them up by an hour to three and seven o'clock kickoffs. What made bigger news, I think, is that the Orange Bowl was willing to move out of uh, off of New Year's Day and move into or New Year's Eve or whatever I get the days mixed up but basically move to its own window I believe on December 30th this year to play in prime time your general thoughts on that well two twofold number one this particular year January 1 falls on a Sunday and, and any time in the past even before the playoffs even candidly before the BCS the <laughs> pardon me the New Year's Day Bowls if if Sunday was January one, they played on Monday, so so that's what's happening again this year. The traditional uh, January one bowls that are not involved in the playoff go to Monday because the NFL is still playing uh, at that time of the year, and Sunday's reserved for the NFL. Right. So that's the rose and the sugar for this coming year, which are not Correct. playoff games, but they'll be played Correct. on January second, Monday. Where most of the problems came, in my opinion, last year was not the time but was the fact that the playoff games were played on a Friday, which was a work day. Well, now, this year, they'll be on a Saturday. Even though it's the 31st of December, it's a Saturday. It's a non-work day. So I think the, the day of the week is more important than the time of the kickoff. And I think also the CFP did a real good job in their release. You saw it. Is they said what they wanted to do was honor the tradition of the Orange Bowl of playing at night. And that's the reason why Friday night works well, so they can continue to have that Orange Bowl game played at night. Now, I go back almost 40 years, uh, both of the Orange Bowls that I played in kicked at 8 o'clock. And that was just the tradition of the Orange Bowl. It was at night. And they're continuing that, even though this particular year it'll be on Friday night. I think it'll work fine, and I think they certainly paid attention to the fact that. Well, to I the think it'll, you can. You don't want to play those playoff games on a work day. I think it will work fine this year, and tradition is tradition, and that's good that they were able to spin it that way. But the reality is, TV ad revenue is going to be higher for a game played at night than certainly on a weekday, and so. Uh, when you look at that schedule and all the things you laid out, they're they're going to get more selling the Orange Bowl on Friday night than they would have shoehorning it around the other games on January second or playing it on New Year's Eve whenever it was supposed to be played. Exactly. I, the the larger question though, and it doesn't have to do with this announcement. A, I'll give the college football playoff committee a little credit for not being quite as rigid and making some adjustments, and they should do this from year to year. Uh, next year, the games move back to January 1st, the playoff games, following the uh, 2017 season because they'll be in the Rose and Sugar, so nobody will complain that year. But then the two years after that, we'll be back in this New Year's Eve situation where the playoff games will be on weekdays because of the way the calendar falls. Uh, and it's just, not a, it's just not a good scenario. And the holdup really is the Rose and the Sugar who want to be married to New Year's Day. But I, I honestly think more than anything, Keith, it is the Rose Bowl Parade, which only makes sense on New Year's Day and has to be held in conjunction with the with the Rose Bowl that ultimately is, is what's determining when we play these college football games. It's frustrating. Well, and I agree. But remember one thing, Tom, when you go to the midweek games that are holidays, you can push those games back to late because you're not competing with anything. I mean, you, you can kick off the, the West Coast game at 
at 6 o'clock their time, 9 o'clock Eastern time, if you're not competing with New Year's Eve celebrations. So I I think if you plot well, it except, out, it'll, it'll go pretty well. Well, except that you're going to be in the same scenario as last year, though, Keith. Where So if the Rose Bowl isn't the playoff, the Rose and Sugar are going to take the 5 and 8 p.m. window on New Year's Day, and your playoff games are on New Year's Eve, which is not a holiday. So you're going to have a Tuesday and a Wednesday or whatever days of the week it is where you're again playing college football playoff games. Now, you don't have work the next day, but you're still starting those games potentially before people are out of work and you're running into people's New Year's Eve plans. Well, we'll, we'll see. I just think that there's a there's – uh, I think they understand the need to be a little flexible and they'll find a way to make it work. Well, yeah, let's hope so. I mean, the TV ratings this year would give them uh, indication that they need to be flexible because they were down significantly from oh, year you one. Oh, you know, it wasn't talked about, but ESPN had to do a lot a of make goods. Bunch of yeah. make goods. Are, you, are you familiar with that term? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they had to run a bunch of ads after the fact that they couldn't charge for on their other platforms just to make the advertisers well, whole. ESPN, right, that's a problem. ESPN is not the one who's saying, let's play the playoffs on New Year's Eve. I mean, that's coming from the Bulls. If ESPN, if ESPN had its way, they would set this equ- the same way it was in the BCS days, where at the end you had one game on Tuesday night, one on Wednesday night, one on Thursday night, whatever it was. They put them in prime time, sold them, and it was fine. Yep. So, so the resistance, it's coming from having so many entities involved. Uh, but ultimately, I think it goes back to that Rose Bowl parade and because you can't have that on a weekday when people are not at work. So your only other option there is to kick off the Rose Bowl earlier than one thirty or 2 Pacific time. And I guess there's just not been uh, uh, flexibility or nimbleness uh, from the folks that run the Rose Bowl. All right, we can have that conversation on another day. we got a couple more minutes to go, Keith. Uh, college football rules were discussed yesterday, and uh, there was an announcement about that. Uh, one, I thought the verbiage was interesting that the uh, referees are going to strictly enforce the three-yard downfield rule for uh, illegal linemen downfield as it relates to the line of scrimmage and sort of that, uh, you know, Auburn has made a living on that pass and others have as Will Ole Miss hit it last year against Alabama. Your thoughts on that one and what else resonated yesterday? Well, number one, we're going, I'm going to start calling it the Jimbo rule because every time he's had an opportunity, he's talked about it. Uh, you know, I personally would prefer they run it back and let them only be one year down the, real, uh, down the, the field and call that, but be that as it may, if that's the rule, let's enforce it. Uh, the one that, that I do like, uh, and we've seen situations where this has been the case, is the replay official, pardon me, will now have uh, authority to stop the game and review an, a target, a targeted hit that maybe wasn't called previously on the field. In other words, the old rule is that the officials on the field had to call targeting, and then the review replay official would do just that. Now the replay official, who does watch every play, can actually stop the game and inform the officials on the field that there's been a targeted uh, violation that was called from the box. Uh, and I think that'll be, be, be a good change. And then the other, the other little one uh, that, that I picked up on, I, I may have missed others, you can inform me, but a, a sliding player, i.e. a quarterback that slides, is now considered a defenseless player and can't be hit at all. Because you and I have always seen situations where the quarterbacks get down a little too late and the defensive player can get into them. Uh, they're going to try to eliminate that completely as well. So <laughs> I think both of those changes uh, are, are going to end up you know, being player safety issues and, and, and pretty significant. All right, sounds good. We'll do better justice to those rules changes as we get closer to football season. Keith, enjoy D.C. I hope you get to stay there for another four days or so, as a matter of fact, and uh, enjoy that junior suite at your luxurious hotel. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. You know, you and I have always talked about the truth is stranger in fiction and real-life things or things to pay attention to. Uh, I'll leave our listeners anew with this. Uh, someone asked Coach Lim, uh, Hamilton about how long he expected to stay in D.C., and he said, I packed five suits. I had to bring two suit bags. I intend to be there for the entire period. So he won't be wearing the same suit, and he brought five of them. Read into that whatever you want. Well, he should say that. Keith, because if he said he only packed one suit, how would we take that? <laughs> It'd get old by the fourth or fifth day, I guess. I well, well, unless he spun it that way that he's superstitious and he's going to win <laughs> in the one on Tuesday and wear it all five days. Hey, have fun tonight. Will do. 
All right, Keith Jones, the other half of the front row, who is uh, in our nation's capital. We'll step aside, come back, and Tim Linnefelt will join us. We'll talk more about the ACC basketball tournament right after this. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on the front row. Thanks so much for tuning in. As always, I apparently am the only known person in civilization not in dc for the acc tournament because our next guest there as well tom lang uh wrinkled his uh, his eyebrows there too so i guess he is he is still in tallahassee as well but all the guests on today's show uh are at the acc tournament our seminoles.com insider is tim linnefelt seminoles.com the only place uh, you can catch jimbo after uh games but that's in the fall it's also the only place to catch tim's keen insight on a daily and weekly basis how are you tim i'm doing great tom how are you i'm doing well what's the impressions of uh dc thus far Oh, it's a, it's a nice place, you know. Uh, this isn't my first time here, but it's my first time in a while, and uh, and yeah, it's pretty cool. I think my uh, my favorite thing about it, and you, you think about this with older cities, is when you know they when they were putting together all the the stuff that would later become the the cool historical markers and all the places of significance. And that was all when people were walking everywhere or riding horses everywhere. So it's all pretty close together. So, uh, so I really like that aspect of things. Well, I hadn't thought about it that far, but that makes sense. Uh, the the only thing that I miss about Maryland being in the ACC is that we used to play there every two years and the team hotel football basketball baseball was always the Greenbelt Marriott which was a short shuttle ride for the hotel shuttle probably about a half mile from that hotel to the red line on the metro and it led to lots of uh, exploration time around a fine city like D.C. That's, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's kind of uh, kind of what I miss about having Maryland in the ACC, too. Yeah, and, and many would probably share that sentiment. So uh, best of luck to the Terps. Hope they're enjoying the Big Ten. I do want to talk <laughs> about uh, not just D.C., but, uh, but as it relates to D.C., I mean, you know and I know from covering the ACC that it, it about takes an act of Congress, certainly a, an act of Swafford, to move the ACC tournament outside the state of North Carolina. Looking at it historically, this has been done, I don't know, about every five years. They kind of throw Atlanta a bone or another city, but it was in Tampa one year. They did in Tampa one year. They actually did in Charlotte once, too, if you count that, as at least as outside of Greensboro. So before I get to the second half of this question, general sentiment of folks that are in D.C., is it uh, was there a good showing yesterday? I know that's day one of a five-day tournament. What's the media think of uh, the setting there? Well, it's hard to get a, a real gauge on the media yet because I think uh, most of the Carolina area swarm got in yesterday and, and will be getting in today uh, you know, once Duke and, and Carolina get going. So uh, I think I'll probably be able to get a better read on it uh, as I get over there today. Uh, I can tell you that just being around town, it doesn't seem like there's a huge amount of buzz, but I, I don't really chalk that up to anything more than just you know, D.C. being kind of a, a pro sports town, and, and unfortunately they don't have an area school participating in the tournament. You know, we did have, we were walking into the, uh, the arena yesterday and, uh, on the Metro escalator, uh, a guy asked if, if we were head over the tournament and said that he was a, uh, a UNC graduate who was really into the Tar Heels before, uh, but now that he lives in Washington, he doesn't follow them nearly as closely. So take that for what it's worth. I will say that, uh, given that games were played, uh, you know, at, at on a Tuesday at noon and 2.30, I thought the turnout at the Verizon Center was actually really good. I chalked that up at least somewhat to the fact that it was North Carolina State and Wake Forest, two state schools, uh, two North Carolina schools in, in the early session. But they had a pretty nice crowd, uh, and the Florida State Boston College, a lot of those guys stuck around uh, and, and watched that game. And so it made for a, a pretty nice atmosphere, especially given the circumstances being middle of the afternoon on a work day. And the games that featured teams that were seeded, you know, 11 through 15, 11 through 14 in the ACC wasn't exactly the top dogs this year uh, playing ball yesterday. Well, it's part of the larger conversation that I want to have, Tim, which is when you look at the ACC tournament and its future next year, the next two years, it's going to be played in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. So they're getting to New York. They're not getting to Madison Square Garden yet, where the Big East used to just have it on lockdown, and I thought it was always a great event, though I never attended that uh, in person, and that has to do with contractual issues with Madison Square. But I guess the main question is, 
once they get this thing to New York, do you see a scenario where they keep this thing in New York in perpetuity, or is it always going to have to have some Carolina connection in it? Oh, gosh, I would be absolutely stunned if it was in New York in perpetuity. Uh, I think that there's going to be – you're never going to move the AC tournament out of North Carolina permanently. I just don't see it happening. There's still too much influence there. And, and quite frankly, as much as we sort of like to, to tease and, and, and complain a little bit, you know, the state of North Carolina is a big part of the ACC's history, especially in basketball. So I have no problem with it being based in North Carolina some of the time. But I think it's great to branch out some and, and get to those different places. I, well, I can tell you what I'm really interested to see next year is just how overrun the Barclays Center is with Syracuse fans. I'm constantly stunned at the sheer volume of Syracuse fans anywhere I am that, that Syracuse is playing. That includes the home games that they've played in Tallahassee uh, and, and some of the other tournaments. So I can only imagine the show, the show is going to be like for Syracuse once they have that thing in the Barclays. You know, it's interesting uh, because I've heard uh, Stan Wilcox say this and, and Leonard Hamilton, I think, said something uh, in this past week that once it gets to New York, they don't think it's ever going to go elsewhere. Now, those are guys that coached in the Big East, uh, in Leonard's case, and Stan obviously worked for the Big East Conference for a lot of years and has Northeast roots. Uh, I get what you're saying about the back and forth. So what do you think would be a realistic back and forth between New York and Carolina? Uh, I mean, even footing? Like, Go ahead, sorry. No, I was going to say even footing, two here, two there. Because, the, uh, you know, what? to me, I would be okay with every other year alternating, but I don't think the arenas would want to set up their uh, their future business that way where you've only got somebody contracted for one year but not for multiple years. Yeah, I can see that. You would think that two and two would be maybe the, the least they would want to put up with. I could see a two and two kind of scenario. I mean, even you know, mix it up a little bit. Maybe do a year in Greensboro, a year in Charlotte, a year in Brooklyn, maybe a year at MSG if you can do it that way. I know you're getting a little bit with the with the arenas, but I think from a, a fan's perspective and a league perspective, that might kind of make sense. Uh, but I think a lot of it is, is riding on you know what how how the, the tournament plays out here in D.C. I think if it's, it's successful and and I think that you know, Tuesday was certainly an encouraging step in that direction. Uh, it could be back in the D.C. area. Again, Maryland isn't here, but there's still plenty uh, of influence in Virginia. North Carolina is not too far away, and it's, it's, a, it's a reasonable distance for the, the more northern schools in, in Boston College and Syracuse. So, you know, depending on, you know, uh, what I want to see is what's the crowd for uh, a Duke-Carolina game, you know, or, or, or something like that, or, or even a Miami-Virginia game, something with, with big national implications. What's the crowd like for that? What's the atmosphere like? It's not fair to, I think, judge too much based on a, a Tuesday game between Florida State and Boston College. But even then, like I said, was much better than I was expecting. Yeah, and the Big East, when it had its heyday there, a big part of the reason that the Garden was always packed is that you have a lot of schools from the Northeast, whether it was Syracuse or St. John's or uh, you know even a lot of the existing ACC now that, that has Northeast roots, if you will. So I'm curious to see how that goes, too. I'm looking at the, the ACC tournament by location historically and so the first tournament was in 1954 and it stayed in either raleigh greensboro or charlotte all the way until 1976 so they went 22 years then landover maryland got involved a few times but but actually if you look at the last 12 years starting in 05 and 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 counting this year one two three this is great radio for five times out of <laughs> five times out of the last 12 years it's been outside of north carolina and that's been really before you have the influence and sort of more votes that would go for being outside of the all carolina conference thinking if you will because now you have syracuse and louisville and notre dame and others in the mix so it is kind of interesting to me that they've gone five out of 12 without the league being configured the way it is right now no, absolutely, and and you mentioned it as as you expand up and down the the eastern seaboard the way they have, uh, it's in the league's best interest, I think, get those those schools involved. I wonder, and not to not to talk too much about Syracuse, but but you kind of wonder how a school like Syracuse or even Pittsburgh, Notre Dame feels about all this. You know, they're used to being uh, on the big stage at, at Madison Square Garden, and and while the, you know the, you can, we can debate the the Big East basketball culture against the ACC's basketball culture. They are kind of different, you know. They have a bit of a different feel. Uh, and so I wonder how those schools maybe feel like they're fitting in from a, a cultural standpoint. I remember, I think it was Jim Beheim that, that had some not-so-nice things to say about Greensboro or something like that a year ago. So I, I, I do think it makes sense to kind of like, expand your, your horizons uh, culturally to maybe include those schools a little bit more, and, and that includes you know getting involved in the Northeast. But there's always going to be 
uh, a pull, right? You know, the Carolina schools and, and the, the, the schools that have been in the ACC for a long time, they look and say, you know, it belongs in Greensboro. But the, you know, the future reality is the Syracuse, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, Boston College, those types of schools, they're, they're part of it now, too, and, and they have big brands and, and, and big basketball influence. And so it's just it's kind of part of the changing dynamic, and, and I don't think we can really know for sure how it's going to play out, but I do think it will be interesting. Yeah, no question. Well, one of the smart things the ACC did on this is that when the Big East disbanded, the ACC adjusted its tournament bracket so that you get to a Saturday night TV window to finish the thing off. That, that to me, was um, – a very wise decision. That said, the Saturday night at the Garden uh, takes it up a whole nother level, and that's what the Big East had. And, and as I think about this, you really can't get two cities that would be more polar opposite than having it in Greensboro in odd years and New York City in even years. I mean, unless you want sure, to... Sure, exactly right. Yeah. So that kind of speaks to the diversity of the, of the league's footprint, too, you know? No question. I guess, uh, yeah, it, it's anytime you're talking about progress. I mean, if you look at Tallahassee, uh, you've got one camp that doesn't want to see a tree cut down. You've got another camp that wants to see the town evolve and grow. And there's always going to be push-pull on that. And so uh, I'm a big fan of the truth, is, or maybe the solution is always in the middle. So I don't know where the ACC will will ultimately land. I would tend to agree that it does have to be played in Carolina from time to time. But I'll tell you one of the reasons, on top of the stage and the opportunity there, Tim, when you look at Carolina and Duke, they always play the last conference game of the regular season. And – Half the t- and that's either going to be in Chapel Hill or Durham, and then the tournament starts the next week in Greensboro. Well, who's not really having to make a road trip to get to Greensboro? Whoever just basically played a home game, which is both teams, whether it was in Durham or Chapel Hill. So I think from sure. a competitive advantage standpoint, it even though Syracuse is based in New York, they've still got to get on a plane and fly from Syracuse. I think it levels the playing field more there uh, to at least take it away from Greensboro or the state of North Carolina from time to time. Oh. Absolutely, and and that was kind of always the the I guess the the thrust of people's arguments, the other schools' arguments about getting it away from Carolina. You know, it's not just Duke and UNC. If NC State's having a big year, if they close their season at home, they get to go right down the road. Same with Wake Forest. It's not too long ago, and maybe it's a coincidence, but the fact is, Florida, Florida State's two most successful ACC tournaments have both come in Atlanta, which is significantly closer than the other places they have played. So, just something to think about. Yeah, well, and I think. If you not even the maybe you say average basketball fan, but average FSU fan, you're not going to plan a trip to Greensboro the second week of March. You might plan a trip to New York that coincides with the tournament and take in one game, but but more than that, take your family to see New York City. And I think that would apply to a lot of the schools that I'll label as non basketball culture, like a Clemson. You'd be included in that mix. Shoot, University of Miami, you could include in that mix, even though they're very good in basketball right now. Their their student base and alumni base is heavily northeast, so I think they'd be in favor of it too. I'm just curious to see how it how it shakes out over the next few years. I, I am too, and again, just keep an eye on how this tournament shakes out. If there's a big marquee ACC matchup, whether it be a Duke-Carolina or Carolina-Notre Dame, something like that, it's just watch and see what the atmosphere feels like in the arena, what the coverage feels like, and if it feels like it's a big deal the way the ACC wants it to be a big deal, then I would consider it to be a success. All right, well, now that we've uh, talked about questions or pose questions that we can't answer Tim uh, I'll, I'll pose another one who's going to win tonight FSU or the Hokies gosh you know I really kind of kind of like the Knowles in this one uh just just being in the locker room yesterday and talking to those guys I think they just they're really really confident I think this this three-game winning streak has done a lot for them and, and say what you want for having to play on a Tuesday I think there's something to be said for them just banking another win get another opportunity to feel good about themselves and then also they didn't have to use their starters very much. We saw Chris Kumaje get a lot of minutes, Benji Bell get a lot of minutes, Terrence Mann, of course. Uh, and, and even better, your, your big guys, Boris Bojanowski and Jarko Smith, I think they played like 12 and 13 minutes apiece. So they're, they're practically fresh. And then you have all day today uh, before playing the night. Uh, I think Florida State looked at that game at Virginia Tech. It was, it was really irritating at the time to lose that game, obviously. But now that you get to play Virginia Tech again and have another opportunity at it, you listen to those guys are saying, look, we were, we were in control the entire game for 34, 35 minutes. Uh, so they, and and uh, Malik Bina said, and we know we have to do, we, and we were doing it, we just, we just stopped. Now, of course, they, uh, they, they have to actually do what they're supposed to do uh, rather than, than fall off at the end. But I think they, they kind of know what needs to be done tonight, and, and they know that they're capable. Well, you are, of course, our Seminoles.com insider, not our Hokies.com insider, so I had no <laughs> doubts that you were going to pick FSU in this one. Uh, win or lose, hopefully win. Hopefully the former uh, full uh, coverage and recap will be available on Seminoles.com as always. Tim, enjoy our nation's capital. 
Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. All right, that is Tim Linnefelt. Uh, as I said, if you couldn't tell, he is our Seminoles.com insider. All right, we're going to bounce back to D.C. after this uh, and talk a little bit about uh, something that's off the court but just barely, and I'll explain that uh, when we welcome our next guest to the show right here on the front row. Need no thoughts control. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's All Saints District, this is The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones, presented by Hobson Chevrolet. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Next time around, I'm going to petition to just do the whole show from D.C. since all our guests are in Washington, D.C. Keith uh, joined us earlier. Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider. Special guest coming up uh, momentarily. I need to point out that this portion of the front row is brought your way by the Flying Bear, a family-owned and operated restaurant located in Tallahassee's uh, north side of town. Folks have started calling it Uptown. It is a great place to stop. It's on Thomasville Road, left-hand side as you're headed out of Tallahassee. It is open uh, Sunday to Thursday, 11 to 9, and Friday to Saturday, 11 to 10. That is the Flying Bear Great American Grill. Okay, before the break, I said we will continue the conversation, but we'll move off the court just slightly. So let me explain and get the cat out of the bag here as we welcome Dave Plack to the program. Dave Plack is the director of athletic bands for FSU, which means that uh, in his current capacity, at least for today, he's running the show with the Seminole Sound, which does a terrific job at all Florida State basketball games. And in full disclosure, the reason this this thought came my to my mind, Dave, and I shared this with you, Dave and I follow each other on Twitter, and every year at the ACC tournament, all the ACC media that I follow, uh, it's not incessant, but every one of them will tweet about how great the seminal sound is and the FSU band is, and it happens every year that they can't wait to see Florida State's band and Golden Girls perform at the ACC tournament. So that said... I thought, well, I know Dave. Let me call him up, and let's learn a little bit more about this. So, Dave, first of all, how are you? Hey, Tom. I'm, we're doing great. We're, we're enjoying an uh, amazing day up here in D.C. The weather is, is just off the charts. So we're having, a great, uh, we're having a great experience. Well, and that's where I want to start. In terms of the experience, uh, you mentioned to me that several of the kids you've got with you have never even been to D.C. How many do you have? How do you normally travel to the ACC tournament? How do you determine who gets to go? Because I know you've got sort of, I don't know if it's different teams or crews, but during football you've got 400-something kids out there, and during basketball there's 50 or 60 or whatever it is. So walk us through that a little bit. No, that's a great, those are great questions. Uh, well, first of all, all, all postseason tournaments are capped. Uh, ACC, NCAA, they're all capped at basically what amounts to 30 people, including the band director. Uh, so we, we are, you know, every band, it, it's a uh, level playing field, so to speak. You know, you can't show up with 100 uh, to the ACC tournament. So every band is capped at 30. Cheerleading squads, dancers, spirit groups are capped at a certain number, uh, which is great. It, it's a nice, manageable, you know, one bus of students uh, allows us to kind of, you know, do a lot of things that you can't normally do with, you know, obviously 420 uh, and so to answer that question, yeah, we're, we, we have a 30 piece pet band that travels to all the postseason tournaments. Uh, and so as far as who gets to go, we have, we have about 120 in Seminole Sound. And we, we work off really basically what amounts to a travel point system, uh, for all the events starting even back in September. Uh, women's volleyball will have a few soccer appearances, some other appearances. Uh, they just earn, you know, those that are in the pet band will, will earn points towards uh, travel season. And so when the ACC tournaments come around, when the NCAA tournaments come around, that uh, those with the highest points usually get their first choice of trip. And so uh, as far as the men's tournament this year, we, we've known that Washington, D.C. would be the destination. So that's that was a big reward for them throughout this year. And, of course, next two years, as you and I are very excited about, uh, we moved to uh, up to uh, Brooklyn uh, for the men's tournament. So these next two years, those are the big, those will be the big carrots uh, for the students in the pet band. You'll be happy to know that our previous segment with Tim Linnefelt, we discussed at length 
future homes for the ACC tournament. You and I have talked about it. I know we're both proponents of just moving yeah. the thing to New York and, and and keeping it there. But how is the atmosphere in, in D.C. from your standpoint? I mean, you get uh, you, you have a, well, different, a different vantage point. You're paying attention to different things than the average fan would be in your role. Well, no, I, th- you know, I, I think what is great about moving it around is, like you had mentioned, you know, I was shocked to hear that half, half of the band uh, had never been to D.C., which I was, I was kind of taken back because I kind of expected that every middle schooler or high schooler at some point would, would have made a trek here or even with their high school band. And uh, so knowing that, I think, made this destination, uh, you know, uh, more special but also just educational. We, we uh, went to Arlington National Cemetery this morning. They got to watch the changing of the guard uh, and a replaying ceremony. Uh, we've, we've toured the monuments. And so for a lot of them, this is, this is a big deal. I mean, they're seeing things that, that basketball and our team and athletics has, has uh, given them the opportunity. So that's very special. Uh, but, yes, I mean, there's no question D.C. Uh, DC and New York City are a little bit more attractive destinations than perhaps Greensboro or Charlotte. Uh, and so I'm, I'm looking forward to these next two years for sure, and I'm hoping the ACC can uh, at least maybe get in a pattern where we just alternate uh, some of these destinations a little more. Yeah, I, we're in total agreement, and uh, as I mentioned, we we hashed that out last segment, so I won't go down that road. I do want to shift to football a little bit, and for those just tuning in, we're talking with Dave Plack, who's the director of athletic bands at Florida State University. Uh, and again, uh, congratulations for all the kudos that uh, you and your troops always uh, receive when you get a stage like the ACC tournament or the NCAA tournament. But you obviously are also involved with football. Go ahead. You, I'll let you. I'll let you speak. Go ahead, Dave. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was. Uh, yeah, no, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, yeah, I was. I was going to just thank you for that mention. I, you know, it. I don't know that our our fans necessarily realize uh, just how how uh, recognized we are, and by we, I mean you know all of our spirit groups, our cheerleaders, and Stacy Sutton, Brittany Richards, and uh, our cheerleaders also with Natasha Goodman. I mean, every time we travel. Uh, we represent, I, I mean, I, I say this not to be boastful, but just confident. I mean, we, we represent Florida, uh, Florida State, very, very well when we go to these things as a collective group of support for our teams, and, uh, and we're proud of that. I mean, I, I love the fact that, uh, that we have non-Florida State media and, and people that aren't necessarily affiliated with Florida State uh, recognize uh, our efforts. And so, that's yeah, that's something we're proud of. We, we get a pick out of going to these things and kind of being, you know, uh, well, top dog, you know, we, we kind of, we take pride in that. Well, you should, and you guys do a great job and, uh, more full disclosure. I'm not a former band member or spirit group guy or anything like that, but, uh, I mean, I do get to see you guys cause I travel with the football team an awful lot and you guys do terrific work and, and segueing to football. One of the oft asked questions of me, and I'm sure it comes your way too, is, you know which games is the are the marching chiefs going to be at this year? So I'll ask you that now. Has that already been decided, and and how does that get hashed out on an annual basis? Yeah, well, we're we're in the process now of working with uh, you know our partners in athletics, and uh, I think I mean we're we're very confident that that we'll have representation uh, at uh, at the season opening game against Old Miss in Orlando. Uh, we'll have a band obviously down at Miami. That's going to be our our big uh, rivalry game this next year. Uh, and of course, then we also add USF back to the schedule. So I think, in some, while while those details are still being hashed out, uh, you know, I think we're we're happy to say that we'll have a band certainly at those games. Uh, as for additional games, that's that's something that that has to be determined. And of course, there's a lot of you know expense that goes into that. And our athletic department does a great job to provide us uh, as, as much of an opportunity to, to be at those games as possible. Which, you know, brings, you know, brings me to mention that, you know, we have started a travel campaign, uh, for the marching chiefs, uh, that, uh, you know, fans can, uh, give, you know, uh, a contribution to. And our hopes is to build that, you know, travel campaign up to where, you know, we can have a pet band at certain games or we can take, uh, something because as you know, and, you know, you're, you've been around Florida State for a long time. You know, if you can if you can get that that drum beat going for the war chant, and if you can give the fans something to rally around, it makes a huge difference. And uh, and not that we have to have 400 at every game, uh, but having having a, a pet band of some kind certainly is our goal uh, you know, down the line. 
And, uh, and I think our athletics are that with us, certainly. And so we're all collectively, you know, trying to, to get things to a point where we can be as supportive as possible. Yeah, well said. And I, I know there's a lot of interest, and in, uh, thank you for, uh, <clears throat> for, for all that you do. I'll, I'll let you go on this. The, uh, the game you didn't mention is the ACC championship game in Charlotte. And the way the schedule falls, ah. the Marching Chiefs always do a PRISM concert on that Thursday and Friday night before the ACC championship game. And I can speak firsthand to, to know what the Chiefs look like when they get on a bus at 10 o'clock on Friday night <laughs> and drive overnight to Charlotte oh, yeah. or whatever time you leave and pour out of the buses at yeah. 9 in the morning and, and half the time don't have hotel rooms until check-in time at 1 or 2 and still do what you do at the ACC championship game. I know that's a burden, but I hope that's an annual burden uh, for all involved with Florida State, Dave. Well, to be truthful, I, I mean, I, I speak for, for nearly every marching chief. Well, yeah, we were disappointed to actually not be getting on a bus at midnight on that Friday and heading up to Charlotte because for three straight years, that that, that was uh, – a consistent thing for us. I, I'm confident we're going to return back to that this next year. But, yeah, we want, you know, with the games, we want to support the team. And, and we're going to make it happen. Like I said, we're getting tremendous support from athletics. And uh, we all are on the same page. We're just working to uh, to make it happen. All right, Dave Plack, Director of Athletic Bands. Thanks for your time. I hope that you're in D.C. long enough that you can take the students who've never been there to see the Capitol maybe tomorrow. You can take them to the U.S. Mint maybe a couple days later, do a White House tour on Friday, and uh, you know, just stay as long as possible if you would. Well, we'd like that, and like I said, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity for these students and one we don't take for granted. And uh, we're looking forward to the game tonight, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll be here for, uh, for another couple games. Alrighty, Dave Plack from FSU. We'll finish up the front row right after this. Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. And uh, as long as we're doing some housekeeping, uh, like that mention that you can email us, I should point out the front row is available on demand after every week's show through two convenient methods. You can Head to ESPNTallahassee.com and uh, check under the Audio Vault drop-down menu and just click on the front row. Or you can subscribe to the podcast of the show via iTunes. Uh, I'm the one that uh, I drew the short straw. I decided I would be willing to stay home this week while everybody else that we filled up the airwaves with was in D.C. having a good time for apparently the best weather ever in Washington, D.C. is the tournament's there. But, uh, no, seriously, uh, K.J. joined us uh, earlier. I do hope that uh, he and the rest of the gang are there for a while. Appreciate Tim Linnefelt. And also Dave Plack, I know that was a little bit outside of the scope of uh, sports, but uh, it is certainly related. And I do, uh, via Twitter or just in person, get asked pretty consistently, are the Chiefs going to be at this game? Why don't they go to this game? Why don't they go to all the games? Uh, And I do think it's, uh, well, it's like human nature. We do take them for granted how good they are at what they do. Uh, you don't miss them till they're gone, sort of thing. And uh, the seminal sound. I mean, just follow if you're on Twitter, follow some ACC media types. Uh, just do a search for them, and you'll see they'll be tweeting about them tonight, uh, even though they have no affinity to FSU. So tip of the cap to Dave Plack and uh, the seminal sound, Marching Chiefs, Pep Band, and the Spirit Groups in general for Florida State. All right, Keith and I will uh, be back in the fold again uh, next week, I do believe, right here on the front row. So uh, until then, have a great week and enjoy the game tonight, everybody. Yeah.